Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to enter into verse 20. We've been talking about, in case you've forgotten, <laughs> denying self for the sake of others. Denying self for the sake of others. Now I want to review just a minute this morning, and I know sometimes I... People say, why do you review so much? Well, I've learned something about folks, and myself included. In 72 hours, you forget 75% of what you've heard. So we need to get back into the flow of what the Apostle Paul is saying. If you don't do that, sometimes you can make the Bible a cookbook. But if you stay in the flow, it'll teach itself. As we review, just a moment, Paul's whole address in chapter 8 was to those who understood something. They understood their freedoms in Christ. They understood that eating meat sacrificed to idols would in no way harm their standing with Jesus Christ. They understood this. But Paul is addressing those that understood. And he's trying to help them realize that there are people around them, other believers, that did not understand what they understood. Those, there were those that were weaker in the faith than they were. The term weaker means they don't understand. Perhaps did not at the time have the capacity to understand. Here's one group, they understood who they were in Christ, understood their liberty in Christ. Here's another group, they did not understand that same thing. He tells them they were not to let their freedom, their understanding of who and what they were under, in Christ, under grace, they were not to let their understanding of that become a stumbling block to those who were the weaker. He says in verse nine, but take care lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. The bottom line was this, he's trying to get those that understand to be willing to deny themselves the privileges of eating the meat sacrificed to idols for the sake of the weaker brother who could not yet grasp that this could be a liberty that he has in Christ. You see, this doesn't mean much to you and I in the 20th century unless you put something else in its place because we don't deal with meat sacrificed to idols. But let me ask you this question. What if the Lord Jesus came to your heart and began to knock on your heart's door and perhaps through the Apostle Paul if you were living back in that day and he said to you, I know that drinking wine will not send you to hell. You're in Christ. Whatever you do is not going to in any way affect your standing in Christ. Whatever you want to do, all things are profitable, but not all things are, are, all things are lawful, rather, but not all things are profitable. What if God came to you and said, are you willing to put that away from your life? Are you willing to never touch another drop as long as you live for the sake of your weaker brother that may not understand the freedom someone might have under grace? 
Now that puts it a little bit more where we live every day. Because you see, under grace, we have been set free from the law. But at the same time, there are people around us that are weaker. And some people say, well, Brother Wayne, you can't take me to a scripture where it says not to drink. But buddy, I can take you to a scripture that says don't be a stumbling block to your weaker brother. Are we willing to deal with these kinds of things? It's sort of like the gray areas of life we're covering here when there's not a yes or a no sometimes, but yet there's a bigger principle. And the bigger principle is, are we willing to deny ourselves for the sake of the weaker brother? Now, Paul doesn't just leave it there in chapter eight. He goes into chapter nine and he begins to give his own personal testimony of how he as an apostle had learned to die to Paul daily so that the weaker brother could understand so that he could win the weaker brother or even the person who doesn't know Christ to Christ. Now, as we understand the whole subject of this denying self for the sake of others, there's several important things that hit me as I was restudying this and reviewing for the message today. First of all, and this may be the most important of all of them, if we're gonna learn to live this way, as they were gonna have to learn to live this way, the first thing we've got to understand is that unless we're living abandoned to Christ, we've just, just seen, I saw part of the musical last night on television. You get to see it all, I had a wedding here at the church, but I saw part of it. I'm gonna get the video and watch it because I love Oswald Chambers. My utmost for his highest was a, was a daily f- thing that fed me for years of my life. And the whole message was abandoning yourself to Christ. What does that mean to abandon? That means to cut all the strings. That means just to attach yourself to Christ, say, God, whatever you want in my life, I'm willing to do that. I want to be a vessel that you can use. Now, unless we're at that point in our life, unless we're willing to say yes, and there's no questions asked, and there's no hidden agenda here, then then all else is going to just fall short in denying yourself for the sake of others. Why? Because once you attach yourself to Christ, God the Holy Spirit produces a love within you that's going to cause you for the first time to become sensitive to the people that are around you. In verse 1 of chapter 8, Paul says, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. It doesn't matter how much I know this morning. It's how much do I know that knows me, and am I living up under it, and am I living obedient to what I know? Am I living a surrendered to Christ? If I am, the mark on me is not how intelligent I am. The mark on me is how sensitive I am to my brother. How much love God has produced within me for my brother. That's the measure of a spiritual man. Not that he can speak in tongues. Not that he can do miracles. Not that he can quote the Bible backwards if he has to. But is he filled with the love of the Holy Spirit of God? That has got to be nailed down. Because there is no denying self for the sake of others until you have learned to surrender and abandon yourself unto Christ. Once again, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. We've done this twice now in chapter 8 and 9, but I think it's important. We've got to hear it and hear it and hear it. In 1 Corinthians 13, you might want to turn there. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1. I'm preempting a chapter. We're coming toward it. But you can understand now why it's there. He says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, And while you're turning, remember that love is the fruit of a surrendered life to Christ. That is the fruit. When you're rightly related to him, it's going to show in how you're going to be rightly related to others. Your relationships to others directly reflects the depth of your walk with Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's that's an irritating sound. Verse two, 
And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am what? Nothing. That's a zero with the lid kicked off. Verse four, or verse three, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Well, listen to that again. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and then he just nails it down. He says, love never fails. So before you ever get into the mindset of what Paul is saying in chapter eight and nine, you've got to realize the walk that he had until we are surrendered to Christ and abandoned to him, then this is a foreign language to us. What do you mean deny myself for the sake of others? The heart of God beating in us is what causes us to be willing to do this. This is the sensitivity that God gives us to other people. It only comes as a result of our surrender unto him. The second thing I believe we must grasp in this subject, this overall subject of denying yourself for the sake of others, is that to allow our liberty, the liberty we have in Christ, to cause a weaker brother to stumble is sin, not only against him, but against Christ. Look at verse nine of chapter eight. He says, but take care lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And then verse 12, look what he says. And thus by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. And when we begin to realize, when we live flippantly, when we understand the message of grace, but we're not living up under it and not sensitive to others, then we understand that our life can actually sin against that person and sin against Christ. That makes it much more serious that we hear what it means to abandon yourself to Christ. Thirdly, I think we need to understand that the Holy Spirit must make us aware of our conduct, whether or not it's offensive or not offensive. You see, there are some people, you can't live worrying about offending everybody. You'd be paranoid. I mean, what, what do you do and what do you don't do? In verse 13, look what he says in chapter eight. He says, therefore, now look at his phrase. If, he says, food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again that I might not cause my brother to stumble. The word for if there is the word e, which implies a condition that an experience must determine. You see, some people wake up in the morning ready to be offended. We've said this before in, in chapter eight and nine. And you know some of them, they have the gift of being offended, I'm telling you. You can't do anything that doesn't offend them. They look for things to be offended by. That's not what we're dealing with here. But when you know that somebody's around you, when you know there's a weaker brother and they see something you're doing as an offense, this is when it becomes very, very significant. The balance to me is, if we're living attached to Christ, whether I know the weaker brother is there or not there, God, the Holy Spirit, is regulating my behavior. And I may be doing or not doing things that I'm not even aware of because the Holy Spirit is aware of who's around me. And so it comes back not to looking out for the weaker brother all the time, but looking to Christ. And Christ in you makes you sensitive and, and does the restraining in your life and does the controlling of your behavior. But you know, there's another thing that I think is important in denying yourself for the sake of others, and that is that your motive must be pure. We're gonna see this today in the life of the Apostle Paul. 
What was the motive? Why did he deny himself for the sake of others? Why? What was his reason for giving up his rights and privileges even as an apostle to be supported by the churches? Why, what is he driving at? What's the bottom line? What's the motivation of all this? He's not telling them to do something that he does not know or does not practice as we've already seen in chapter nine. But verse 19 of chapter nine tells you why. What's the bottom line of it all? Is it just so that he can have more friends? No, because if that was the case, every time you tried to find Paul, he was in jail or in a riot somewhere. So it wasn't to gain friends and popularity. What was it? Why did he deny himself for the sake of others? Verse 19 of chapter nine. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. Why? That I might win the more. The word win here in that verse is the word of meaning, winning others over to Christ. That's the bottom line. The spiritual benefit to somebody else's life is what caused Paul to be willing to deny himself for the sake of others. You know what he's doing? He's imitating the very life of Jesus. Actually, it's not him, it's Christ in him. Philippians chapter two, as we studied, verses three through 11. When Christ himself did exactly this, when, when Paul says to esteem others as higher than yourselves, and then he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, and then he gives the beautiful example of how Jesus came down, stooped down, became a man, obedient to his father, even unto death. And that's ex exactly the motivation of the apostle Paul. He wanted to see more people come to know Christ, and he wanted to see people that knew Christ come to understand him and to live more fully in the grace that they have in Christ. So therefore, with that bottom line motivation, all of it redemptive and all of it eternal, the Apostle Paul was willing to deny himself for the sake of others. And this is where I want us to pick up today. Remembering the man, the man that surrendered to Christ, the man that is allowing God to give him the balance, the man who realizes it's a sin to cause a weaker brother to stumble, the man that we've just looked at, there are three things that Paul was willing to do, denying himself for the sake of others. First of all, Paul's choice to deny himself led him to restrain himself. There was a restraint that had to come into Paul's life because of this willingness to deny himself. Look at verse 20. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Significant to me that he mentions the Jews first. As I was studying this and going back over it on the plane last Friday, coming home, I was sitting next to a Hasidic Jew. My son Stephen had already befriended him. You know, Stephen never has met a stranger and he's already befriended him. They're having the best time talking together. And lo and behold, just out of the friendship that Stephen uh, worked up with this guy, this guy helped me get a seat that I didn't have to take my knees out of my jaws and I could actually put my feet on the floor and could fly. I mean, it was the most, I've never felt as crammed in as I possibly was. But I, I thought about this. Here I was studying this. To the Jew I became as a Jew. And right next to me is sitting an ascetic Jew. Now, what is Paul saying? I think it really gets significant that he starts off with the Jews. Because of Christ, now you gotta remember, Paul was no longer restrained by the Jewish ceremonies, by the Jewish rituals or the Jewish traditions. He'd been set free from that. He was free in Christ from these things. He's now under grace. He's no longer under law. He wrote that himself, penned it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter six, verse 14. He says, we're no longer under law, but we're under grace. And the definite article is used there, not under any law. So Paul's been set free from all these restraints that he once was under, but, what was once a legal restraint to Paul 
from which Christ had set him free. Now he turned right back into and made it a love restraint so that he could win more of his brethren in Christ. And this is just incredible to me what he was willing to do. He knew the law. He knew what it meant to be free from the law. But he was willing to get back up under it if necessary just to win those Jews that didn't understand him. He could win more to Christ. Verse 19 says, for though I am free from all men, remember, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. And then to the Jew, I have become as a Jew. I want you to turn back to the book of Romans. Make sure you understand the heartbeat Paul had for his people. If everybody here this morning was as burdened for our own kin as the apostle Paul was burdened for his people, it's incredible what we would do to deny ourselves for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others. You see, when you're not attached to Christ, there is no burden, there is no compassion. Paul now attached to Christ had a greater love for his Jewish brethren than he did when he, when he was among them. When he was up under the same law they were up under, he didn't have any love for them, but now he's up under Christ. And he is even willing to restrain himself now out of love and put himself back up under the law just to reach his brethren. That's the whole heartbeat that he has. Look in Romans chapter nine and verse three. Here's the heartbeat of a man who loves his kinfolk a man who loves his brethren. He says in verse three of Romans nine, for I could wish that I myself were accursed. And that can't happen, but he's using a very important point here. The imagery is incredible. Separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now, if you've ever cried out for a lost one, if you've ever been burdened for somebody, this is the heartbeat of somebody who's compassionate. This is the heartbeat of somebody who, who loves others and wants to see them come to know Christ. Paul said, if it could be, and I know it can't, but if you could separate me and take me out so that my brethren could come to know Christ, I would even be willing for that to take place. Romans chapter 10 and verse one. Turn over it there if you would. Romans 10 and verse one. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, speaking of the Jews, is for their salvation. That's what drives me. That's what motivates me. That's what helps me make the choices that I make when I'm with them. Look over in Romans chapter 11 and verse 13. Romans 11 and verse 13. These verses really help us to see the heartbeat. You gotta see this before you can understand the other. Romans 11 verse 13. He said, but I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. He said, you know, God has singled me out and given me the Gentile as a ministry, but I have, I have another purpose in my heart. As I'm doing what God's told me, as I'm ministering to Gentiles and I see Gentiles come up under the message of grace, I just want some of my fellow kinsmen to see that and become jealous and maybe then I can win more to Christ. He lived with a heart for souls. He lived to see people become spiritually benefited, whether it's in salvation or in Christian growth or whatever, and this motivated what he did. He did what he did for the sake of others. Just that's Jesus in Paul. That's the heart of Christ beating in this man. Well, with these verses from Romans, then you can understand why he says to the Jew, I became a Jew. If putting himself back up under the restraints of the law, following the ceremonies or traditions and the rituals of Judaism, if that somehow would cause others to come to know Christ, Paul says, it's worth it. Even though I know I'm set free from it, I turn right around, walk right back up under it if I can get my brethren to come to know Christ. When Paul wanted to take Timothy with him in his ministry, he had Timothy circumcised. 
Now, why? Did that do Timothy any good? Did it do Paul any good? Not a bit. In Christ, circumcision means nothing. It's, what, it's whether you put your faith into Christ. Your standing is in him and what he did, not in you and what you do. It meant nothing to either one of them. However, in Acts chapter 16, verse 3, if you want to turn there a moment. In Acts chapter 16, verse 3, let me show you why he did that. Now, he took Titus and didn't do that with him, but with, with uh, Timothy, he did. And there was a reason that he did. He was going to heavily Jewish populated areas. And there was a reason. And it says in Acts 16, in verse 3, Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Even though his mother was Jewish, his father was Greek, Paul said, I'm gonna make sure this man's circumcised so we'll disarm any kind of, of, of talk when we go amongst the Jewish people. It meant nothing to him or to Paul, but it meant everything in their ministry to keep people from questioning, to, to become one amongst them. It was worth, this, worth it to see how many Jews might come to know Christ. Matter of fact, if you'll study the book of Acts and the journeys of Paul, you'll discover that it was a council at Jerusalem, James, the pastor there and the elders, that told the apostle Paul to go down to the temple and willingly pay for a Jewish purification rite with four other Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Now, why would he do that? They told him, they said, some of these Jews that are still up under the law, the weaker, they think you're preaching against Moses. They think you're preaching against the law. They think you're preaching against the temple. Go down there and do that to show them you're not doing that. You're just explaining the fulfillment of all these things. So Paul willingly did that. Matter of fact, doing that caused him five years to be in prison because of a false accusation that was brought to him as a result of his willingness to become as a Jew. You see, this was the heartbeat of a man who was abandoned to Christ and filled with a compassion for others, whether they're lost, whether they're saved, the weak or whether the unlawful, whatever. And he was willing to restrain himself for their, their sake. As we think of how Paul treated Jewish people, go back to Acts 18 at Corinth. Now, the narrow text is Corinth. He's writing to the Corinthians. He's saying, deny yourself. To the Jew I became as a Jew. What could they relate to in that statement? Well, if you go back to chapter 18, when he first went to Corinth, you see immediately what they could relate to. You know, Paul never snubbed the Jews, never. He came alongside them. Remember, he's been saved. His whole purpose now is not to put himself up here and others down here. His whole purpose is to see others come to know Christ or to see others grow in Christ. Acts chapter 18 and verse two. We first of all see him rolling up his sleeves and working right alongside them. I love this. Verse two, it says, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, verse three, and because he was of the same trade, stayed with them and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. Here's the apostle Paul. He doesn't look down on any Jew. He comes right alongside them and works with them. This is Priscilla and Aquila, who later on became two of the greatest uh, parts of the ministry that Paul had. Secondly, we see Paul was willing to reason with them in the scriptures daily. Now, I want you to understand something. Reason, not argue. The big difference. It's amazing how somebody is smart and knows a lot and he's arrogant with it and there'll always be an argument and you'll always lose. But this is not the word that's used here. He was willing to come alongside them, let the scriptures speak for themselves and reason back and forth. The word for reasoning in Acts 18.4, it says, and he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And that word reasoning, the allegome, 
It's the word that means to intelligently speak back and forth. It's to sit down and say, well, now what do you say? Well, I say this. Well, what does the scripture say? And you look at, well, okay, let's just compare scripture to scripture here. Like the Bereans that, that did the same thing. To see if the scriptures, to see if it be so in the word of God. And he was willing to do that. He was willing to take his time and sit down with them and say, hey, I know where you're coming from. This reason in the scriptures, because he loved them. He wanted to take the time to do that with them. And nobody was better than the apostle Paul. The word persuade, pitho, it means to, be, to show with confidence, to win them over to, to Christ. That's what his whole purpose was in using the scriptures with them. And then thirdly in Acts 18, we see him not only coming alongside them, we see him not only come in reasoning with them, but then we see sometimes that the moving of the Holy Spirit on his heart was so intense that he would just have to stand up and challenge them to receive Christ. Not in any way browbeat them, but with an intensity that was a little bit different than just reasoning with them in the synagogue. Verse five, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. That's solemnly testifying. That particular Greek word has the idea of with intensity as one who has experienced it, chairing and challenging others that they might experience the same thing. Over in Russia, there's a precious friend that we have met over the years, and he's in the area of Moldova. And he got so excited about the Word of God. First thing he did, went back to the people that he had grown up with, people of other persuasions, people that were just outright pagan. And he began to see people come to know Christ, and he would start Bible studies. He even has a Bible study in one of the universities over there. And wherever he goes, he tries to get a Bible study started, coming alongside people, reasoning with them in the Word. But he shared with me, he said, you know, Wayne, sometimes the intensity of the Holy Spirit of God so overwhelms me. He said, I go out to the apartment complexes there. I can't stand it. He said, I can't stand it. I want them to understand and share what I have. And he gets outside and he gets a megaphone. And over there, everybody lives in apartments. And he gets right in the middle, right where everybody can hear him for all those different stories. And he begins to sing at the top of his lungs until he gets people's response. He starts seeing them come out. And then on the megaphone, he just begins with intensity in his heart to share Christ. You need to know my Christ. And he wants something burning inside of him. This is Paul. This is exactly what he's talking about. The thing that moves him, the thing that motivates him is either to see somebody come to know Christ or somebody that knows Christ to grow up in Christ. That was all that consumed the very life of the apostle Paul. For that reason, he was willing to deny himself. He was willing to take whatever restraint was necessary to back off from his freedoms up under grace if in any way it offended a weaker brother because he had an eternal redemptive purpose at the bottom line of his heart. Can I ask you a question this morning? Why do you do what you do? What motivates you? Why are you here today? Why do you do what you do? What is it that consumes you, wakes you up in the middle of the night? What is it that moves you and burdens you wherever you go? What is it that does it that way? Someone said years ago, you could take the Holy Spirit out of the average church and they wouldn't miss him for 10 months because they never needed him anyway. We stood at the church of Ephesus while we were over there. That was a sad day. To realize what the Ephesians had walked away from, the three and a half years that Paul had spent his life with them, the warning that he'd given to them. And they settled for religion and not relationship. And I stood there thinking about how there's nothing left and there's no growing church in that area today. 
And I began to think of the fact that how many times, and they didn't lose their first love. It says in Revelation 2, you left your first love. That first love of loving God is gone. But on the outside, people would say, you're disciplined and your doctrine's right and you've got good discernment. But he said, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Folks, the first thing that disappears when you walk away from your first love, the one that took priority above everything else, when you walk away from that, you lose a sensitivity to others and you lose a willingness to die to self for the sake of others eternally. It's not there anymore. It falls back into what you know rather than who you know. Paul says to the Jew, I became a Jew. To those under the law, as to one, even though he wasn't under the law, to one under the law. He was willing to go that far to gain the confidence of his brethren. Vance Havner, he died before I could get him to Woodland Park. I could kill him. Vance Havner always made the statement. And I love to hear him talk. He had that little twang in his voice. He said, you know what's wrong with Christianity today? That precious old man never did get a driver's license, I don't think. He said, you know what's wrong with Christianity today? He said, we have lost the wonder of it all. You know, folks, I don't care what course you take in how to win people to Christ, it won't work unless you're in a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Because God and God alone can create that burden for lost people in your heart. Paul had it. As a result, he was willing to make whatever restraint was necessary in order to win the more. What used to be a legal restraint, he turned it around and made it a love restraint. <laughs> and he would go right along with them and letting them see that he's, dis he's disarming any criticism they had of him. I'm not talking you down, brother. I'm here to help you. Now, let's go down to the temple and let me point out Christ in the temple. <laughs> let's talk about the law. Let me show you Jesus in the law and how he fulfilled it. Let's talk about whatever you want to talk about. And I'm right alongside you for the sake of the gospel. Well, Paul was willing to restrain himself for the sake of others. But secondly, denying self had led Paul to release himself <laughs> for the sake of others. Now, where he restrained himself with the Jews, put himself back up under the traditions and the whatever, now he's dealing with the Gentiles. And he released himself amongst the Gentiles. He says in verse 21, to those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those who are without law. Now, who would be without law? Ah, no most. Ah, without no most law. To me, it has to be the Gentile world. They live lawlessly. So the Apostle Paul said, I, to them, I'm without law. Now, you gotta be real careful here. Real careful, and I gotta settle something before we go any further. The Apostle Paul in no way refers to anything that would be immoral. Now, let me explain why. Make sure you understand this. In no way did he stoop to the low immorality of the Gentiles to win the Gentile. That is not what he's saying. He is still under the moral law of God. In fact, he clarifies himself. Look at verse 21. To those who are without law as without law. Then note the phrase. Though, not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Now listen to me. We're under grace, but I want you to understand something. We are all, none of us are, out, are outside the moral law of God. The ceremonial law has been done away with. The moral law continues right on. It's written on our hearts. We're now under the complete legal obligation to Christ. That is our standing in Christ. Nobody is free from the moral law of God. It's written on our hearts and God himself, Christ lives in us. 
and we are legally obligated to him to live the way he tells us to live. The difference is, however, that love is now our motivation, not the external things of the law. So when Paul says to the, to the ones without law, as without law, he does not mean in any way anything immoral, anything that would be a hindrance to his own walk with God. He would never go beyond that with a Gentile person. However, there are some other things to consider with the Gentiles in other areas, not moral areas. He identified with them. Perhaps he ate their food. You know, when I, when I was studying this and thinking, of, thinking it through, I wondered about, you know, because under the law, you could only eat certain things, had a certain dietary law, but under the Gentiles, he could eat whatever he wanted to until he would probably eat their food. I was thinking of times in my life I've been willing to deny myself for the sake of others and eat what they had, but I'm thinking of times I wasn't willing to do that. I was down in South America one time, and they gave us this food. I'd eaten possum. You ever eaten possum? It's greasy. It makes you suspicious when you eat it. I just did it one time just to say I'd done it. And we were down in the jungles of South America and they offered us some paca. <laughs> and I take one, took one taste of it and it was greasy, just like that possum. And I'm thinking, there's something very wrong with this. So I know that, I'm so <laughs> I, know that I would be willing to deny myself to eat it, but I wasn't. So I was standing over by the window dumping mine out the window. Well, the guy who was doing the waiting kept bringing, filling up my plate. He thought I liked it. <laughs> so I, every time he'd bring it, I'd smile at him, throw it out the window. I must have had 10 plates while I was there. I wasn't doing really well. But I do remember over in Romania when they were so proud to serve us one night, cow stomach soup. Doesn't that bless you? And I'm serious, they were so grateful. That's all they had. And I remember sitting there, first of all, if I hadn't known what it was, it would have made it a little better. But then when they were so proud to say, this is the best we have. All of the nutrients are in this soup. Please eat the soup. What is it? Cow stomach soup. Oh, dear God, I prayed. I said, oh, God, I'll get it down. You just keep it down. <laughs> That's one time I was willing to eat their food. <laughs> Rick was with me and Eddie was with me. And I looked at them and been all three of us. It's a good thing we're all together. I think we took courage from one another. And I, I would eat a bite and he'd eat a bite. He didn't die, so I'd eat another bite. You know, it's amazing. That's the worst tasting stuff. I believe you could wash your clothes, take the dirty washed water, sit it out inside for about a week and then bring it back, put it in a bowl and heat it. It would taste better than that cow stomach soup. I can't, I can't help but think that the Apostle Paul, when he was with the Gentiles, he'd eat their food. He's without law because the law specified what you could eat, what you couldn't eat. Paul was willing to eat whatever they put before him. Well, he probably dressed like them. We don't know this. It just leaves a whole lot to your imagination. He went where they went, did what they did. Why? Why would he do that? To one thing with the Jews, he'd put himself back up under the rituals and the ceremonies. To another thing with the Gentiles, he was free to eat their food and dress or whatever else they did as long as it didn't violate his walk with Christ. Why? In order to win the more. You know, folks, you'd be willing to do a whole lot of things you don't think you'd be willing to do if your heart had the burden to see people either be saved or see people that are saved grow up in grace and come to the fullness of understanding that Christ didn't just give them life, Christ is their life. You'd be willing to do a whole lot of things. I was at a meeting in our own states down in Florida. As a matter of fact, it was the night I got my gallbladder attack. I think this caused it. And we went to this home and this, these people were so proud to serve us the delicacy they were gonna give us. I kept thinking, is this a steak cooked a different way or what is this? You know what it was? Oh, 
It was cold beet soup. It's a Russian dish. And number one, I don't like beets. Number two, I don't like anything that's cold. And I sat there and ate that stuff. Matter of fact, I went back to my room that night. I said, God, are these people really saved? Do they really know you? Because I wouldn't serve that to my dog, but that's what they served to me. And lo and behold, at two o'clock in the morning, I woke up that gallbladder attack and 24 hours later, had, had to have emergency surgery. <laughs> Maybe that was what did it, I don't know. Hey, what are we willing to do to deny ourselves so that we might win the more? How far are you willing to go this morning? Where's the line you've already drawn? Where is it? That's what would beat in the heart. That's what drove him. That was the motivating force in his life. He was willing to do whatever it took, whatever it took, in order to see others come to know Christ. But then thirdly, not only was he willing to restrain himself, not only was he willing to release himself with the Gentiles because they were not under law, but thirdly, he was willing to reduce himself. Now, to understand this, you've got to remember that the Apostle Paul was probably the most intelligent man you'll ever read about in the New Testament other than Jesus, the Word himself. And I tell you what, when I get, get finished with Jesus for about a million years in heaven, I just want to sit down with the Apostle Paul because of the incredible mind that this man had. You're talking about a man, he went over to Athens, sitting there waiting on his buddies, and he couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand it. Saw all these false gods, went up on top of the Acropolis there, went up on Mars Hill, said, hey, I saw a sign down here, said to the unknown God, let me have your attention, let me tell you who he is. He began to preach Christ to them. And all the learned Greek wisdom folks, they came up there, and they began to shoot at him, and Paul could handle his own with anybody. Most intelligent man you'll ever be around. Peter even said of him in 2 Peter, he talks about his brother Paul of saying things in verse 16. He says, speaking in them these things in which are some things are hard to understand. <laughs> Sounds like a fisherman talking about the apostle Paul. <laughs> he says, good night. This guy's over my head and half the stuff he says. Because Paul was such an intelligent man. But here's this great learned man was willing to reduce himself to the level of his weakest brother in order to help that weaker brother come to understand truth. In verse 22, chapter nine, he says to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. The term for weak there means those who are not able to understand. That was exactly the same term he used back in chapter eight. And he's talking about those who just didn't seem to get it, whether Jew or Gentile. And Paul up here, he had it all together, but he was willing to stoop down and take all that great knowledge that he had and bring it down. And somebody said, put the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody could eat them. He didn't want anybody not to understand what he was saying. Whether Jew or Gentile, he was willing to stoop to their level of comprehension and to take as much time as it necessary so that they could come finally understand. Look back in chapter two of 1 Corinthians. Let me show you this, how he, how he ministered to the church of Corinth. They knew this about him. In chapter two and verse one, we've studied this, but let's look at it now from a different angle. Here he is coming amongst them, the most intelligent man in the New Testament. How did he handle them? He says, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. The word superiority of speech is the word iperico. It means to hold over, to extend over something. I didn't come and take my great vocabulary, my great knowledge and hold it over you to make you look like a, a dunce. I didn't do that. Matter of fact, he kept his message very focused. Have you ever noticed that when you minister to somebody who can't quite grasp it, keep it focused, keep it, like somebody said, the kiss message, keep it simple, stupid. He just kept it focused, just kept it focused. Verse two, 
For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, you hear it enough and know so many different ways you finally get it. His attitude was in no way arrogant. He says in verse three, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Matter of fact, he said, I was so aware of the overwhelming responsibility that I had. This was the attitude of Paul. Not, hey, why don't you understand? And then we see in verse four, he simply allowed the Holy Spirit to speak through him what he needed to be said. He says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And I guarantee if it's in demonstration of the Spirit, the Spirit of God brings it to a level that people can understand. Paul said, that's, why, that's the way I came, because I realized the responsibility. And in verse five, he says, and that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul adopted whatever method was necessary, whether it was restraint or release or, re, or, or to reduce himself. Whatever it took so that he could win the more. Whoever he was around, whether Jew, Gentile, he let the Holy Spirit of God move him alongside them. And then whatever it took to deny himself of whatever, whatever it was, he was willing to do so that others might come to know Christ. I had a little taste of this years ago. They asked me to speak up in Pennsylvania. I was on a mission trip. They didn't tell me, however, before I went over that I was going to a retarded children's home. Now, retarded, I don't think that's a good word because I learned that day that they're a whole lot sharper than most people that are supposed to be having it all together. But that's what they said to me. I already had my message prepared. I'd stayed up the night before. I had point, 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 and I had all the things I wanted to share. Wherever I was going, I had no idea this was what it was until the next morning. I got there and I'm thinking, oh no. Because here they were, about 200 of them sitting in that auditorium. I didn't know what to do. I didn't say, if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles. Well, first of all, I didn't see a Bible in anybody's hand. So I just opened my own Bible, took out my little few notes, and I started to introduce what I was going to say. And immediately, immediately, the Holy Spirit said, they don't understand. And suddenly I felt the desperation of realizing the responsibility but not knowing what to do. It was like God said, throw your notes away. And listen to me, just do what I tell you to do. First verse that came to my mind was John 3, 16. I just started speaking. I said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. And right in the middle of the verse, one of those little retarded children said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And another one said, Jesus, Jesus. And I started going around the room and I thought, whoa. And then I took another verse that had Christ in it. And the Romans road. And it went through just different verses that I knew. And every time I would do it, finally they stood to their feet and all I had to do was just quote a verse and they would say, Jesus, Jesus, and tears streaming down their face, holding their hands up. And the chaplain told me afterwards, he said, you see now, son, why I don't go anywhere else to worship? These kids have something that I've never seen in another church. Reducing yourself to the level of where people's understanding are. Paul was willing to do that. The most intelligent, learned man in the New Testament was willing to become weak to reach the weak. Those that didn't understand, he was willing to reduce himself to where they were. Verse 22, again, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. Now remember, he didn't compromise anything in the gospel to do this, but he was willing to stoop to whatever level he had to stoop to to reach people for Christ. He said, I've become all things to all men that I may by all means save some. He never set aside the truth of the gospel, but would gladly restrict his liberty in the gospel for the sake of others. He would not offend the Jew, not offend the Gentile, and not offend the weak. And only God, the Holy Spirit, can give us that kind of balance. If a person was offended by the word of God, then so be it. But Paul knew that if he was the cause of the offense, then he would stand guilty of offending not only the brother, but offending Christ. It was not a problem of law. 
It was a problem of love. Do we understand this morning that love demands we do much more than the law, law ever thought about doing? The law said you can't, on, to them, said you can't go more than a Sabbath journey. What's a Sabbath journey? They measured it, 2,000 cubits. They went out, took a stake, drove it down, said that's as far as I'm going. What did Jesus say? Go the second mile. Love always demands you go beyond what the law would ever require. And so you're willing to take that extra step as the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you. Nothing made sense to Paul except preaching and teaching the word of God. So Paul chose to make sure there was nothing in his life that would hinder the power and the effectiveness of what he preached. He sums it all up in verse 23. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, all things, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And I think he means two things there. One, I want to live up under the very message that I preach. But two, I want to see more and more and more people come to know Christ so that then we can be fellow partakers in what is the good news of Jesus Christ. To see others come to Christ, this was the reason Paul was willing to deny himself. And I have to ask the question because it's being asked of me too. What are we willing to do this morning for the sake of others? Are we willing to restrain our freedom? Are we willing to release ourselves with others? Are we willing to reduce ourselves if that's what's necessary? What are we willing to do for the sake of others? That they might either come to know Christ or that they might come to know him in his fullness if they already know him. I was in a church this past year and I think we've even used it around here but I never would really grab me. It was a missions conference and they had a huge banner in front of the church and it simply said, whatever it takes. Paul says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel. How far are you willing to go this morning? I'll tell you, wherever you draw that line, whatever restriction you've put, God turns around and makes that his restriction back on you. Whatever line you draw, is, you, God turns around and draws it right back for you. Until you're willing to take that, then you're not willing to trust God. So that you might become a vessel to reach those that are around you. I tell you what, if you hear a message like this and you're thinking, I hope such and such is listening to this, you've missed the whole point. This is not an amen thing. This is an oh me. Getting back to the basics of how much do we really love Christ? Are we willing to deny ourselves for the sake of others? For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 